Welcome to Get Big Out Loud Radio, where we explore living the complex, funny, and beautiful ride of life with me, Carrie Knutson, and Dr. Pat on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are your thoughts keeping you small? Are you ready to get big? I will offer you ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. Explore what is keeping you small and how to shift your behaviors in order to get big. Learn what is possible for you. Get ready to get big and live life out loud starting now. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Okay. Welcome for a super duper version of Get Big Out Loud. This is Carrie, Carrie Knudsen's show. So here's what I love about this. So let me just read this to everybody. And then you're going to hear throughout the show how Carrie is actually living this. What I love to do is I love to be able to work with people like I get to do 24-7 that have a vision for their lives and then that walk the talk for the vision. I love this. And what you hear from us and what you hear from us today is how that happens regardless of what you may be up against. So this is Get Big Out Loud. This is, listen to this, living the complex, funny, and beautiful ride of life. And Carrie and I, we have fun. This is her show, but this is what she's bringing to it today, harnessing hope in uncertain times. Now, here's what I want to say about who she is. This is somebody that is out, 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 out in the world. She is out in person. She is a top, most sought after speaker. She is somebody that understands what it means to understand the psychology of counseling. She's a mother. She's, I haven't heard her do this yet. Closet rapist, art, rap artist. But she's also that person that's the explorer. More than that, she has decided to study the ups, the downs, the inside outs of emotions. That is called emotional intelligence. So when you hear her speak or you look at her extensive experience or you work with her in her coaching program or you want to improve, you are going to get somebody that understands what it's like to create this beautiful web to provide people what they need. Today, this is big because are you able to harness the hope that you need in uncertain times? Carrie, this is a big one. I mean, were you like in my meditation with me the other day? <laughs> I always say, Dr. Pat, that I write and I speak on everything that I need to learn. And I'm a constant student uh, for that. So yeah, I might've been in your mind as much as I was in my mind, because it's the feeling of uncertainty. How do we keep hope alive? So all of those things really came together this month for me. And I wanted to take a deep dive into that topic. And thank you for the beautiful introduction to the work I do, because I do think walking the talk and get big out loud, the whole thing we're trying to embody on this show is how do we show up in the yeah. world to get big still, even in uncertain times, even when things feel hopeless, even when it's hard. And how do we uncover the complexities that we're living? And how do we do it with some humor and fun? And how do we keep and connected to our humanness too? So you just did a perfect setup for today. So I got to tell you what I really am getting off on these days is these little these little gifs that you can get. So I, I like send them to Linda and Jessica, you know, in the strangest moments. Right. You know, I, I sent Linda one yesterday of this little baby falling back on a bed. Right. And, and I had a typo in it because I am not the greatest when it comes to these texting things, because I had just finished playing a little match of table tennis. Right. And I was trying to explain to her that I entered the, the day yesterday in a way that I had not before. 
And what that had to do with was hope. It had to do with the whole range of hope. And I wanted you to address this because you have made some decisions recently that I'm so proud of you for doing, but it represents you. I'm not surprised because you are bold, get big out loud, but without (laughs) hope, it's kind of like our boldness goes down like some black hole. Yes. And the reason it's important to talk about hope, especially in uncertain times, is because the first thing to go when we get scared, overwhelmed, frustrated, or we feel like we have no control, hope, I call it, I like to think about hope as this light that we have to protect and it's easily blown out. And and the bigger things get, it feels like the smaller that that flame of hope can get. And the idea of protecting it, nurturing it, cultivating, harnessing the power of it, it might be small at times, but it's mighty, especially in the face of change, uncertainty, chaos, and all the things, not only globally, because we can easily get swept up into that, but all of us are living very personal, having very personal experiences, living our lives that also, like when you think about the changes that we're facing as people, on a global level, you can also say, well, I'm changing, I'm facing changes as a person who just turned 50 or who's making a life transition with my job or who's trying new things or who's having different kinds of losses. So I think, well, yes, we can, we can also easily talk globally about things. This is really about to us as people, as humans trying to get through our lives, as trying to manage things and go through changes, figuring out when things get chaotic or uncertain uncertain how do we harness hope and how do we utilize it to help us through these changes so i do want today i want to talk about global things but i also really want people listening to think yeah. about you as a person thank um, you and how you are engaging in your life and the complexities yeah. that you face as a human being i want to talk about that too because that's where the buck stops really for me i mean isn't it the old uh, what is that story isn't it the old airline story uh hello if the oxygen thing puts on put it on yourself first kind <laughs> of right because if we don't have it on ourselves and we can't really harness this at this level at the individual level extremely hard to do at other levels isn't it yeah totally and it's interesting though the instinct to, that we have to put the oxygen mask on everyone else first or to help others first is, is very important to think about our instinct to, especially I think we're culturally conditioned to put other people's first and might be selfish to think about yourself in that way. Or, or also I think the narrative is we're all supposed to be exhausted, stressed out, busy, overwhelmed. Like that is kind of the acceptable, <laughs> acceptable social narrative. So if you're not, something's maybe wrong with you because the rest of us have work to do. So I always think about if you said, if someone said to you, Hey, how are you doing? You should say, Oh, I'm busy. You know, or you could say I'm crazy busy if you want to amp it up. But very rarely do we hear someone say something like, you know what? I'm doing really well. I'm finding ways to foster some, some really good self-care practices. Like I got up today, had a great breakfast, had some time to really think about things. I'm enjoying a slower pace of life. I'm really connecting to what's important. If someone said that, you'd be like, must be nice because <laughs> the rest of us are busy, stressed, overwhelmed, and working our tails off. So we, there's no space, even if you're like, hey, I'm doing really good. Sometimes we do want to say, oh, yeah, I got, it, I got it super rough out there. So we can relate to others because the narrative is you better be stressed out, overwhelmed, and busy. You know, busy is a, is a way sometimes to show our worthiness. 
I'm, I'm busy means I'm worthy. So again, we have to like check in with on those social narratives. And um, it is, that's why kind of, it's hard to talk about slowing down, looking at things um, that are complex and having a longer time frame. Um, being, finding ways so that we do nurture ourselves so that we can show up to face the world, the day, our lives in whatever way. It's, it's, it's creating a different narrative around yeah. that. It can be difficult. Yeah. But see, this is not just something you talk about. And I, and I alluded to that. This is something you live and breathe. And I am so glad you're bringing the conversation to, to, to this because here's what we know. When we're in the energy of what you just described, there are other, for lack of a better word, there are other negative energies that cannot get in. Like mm-hmm. if you're if if I'm in that energy you just described, I am not replaying over and over and over again. Okay, I'm just going to make a true confession. I was actually doing this before the show, so I caught myself. I am not playing over and over and over and over and over again. Sinead O'Connor's nothing compares to you. See, I'm <laughs> not doing that. I mean, I, I play music in my room and I, I try not to make it loud and I don't use my head headsets because I live in the headsets. And I just caught myself before the show. I'm like, how many times did I hit the repeat button to listen to that silly can't cuss song? <laughs> so are you making changes not to listen to? Are you are you in um enlarging your music circle of things that enrich you or give you hope? I have like 4,000 songs on my, my, my song list, but I got caught in this this morning. You see, if we're not aware of what you're talking about today, we can get caught in an old pattern. Yeah. I love that. Bring up the caught in your pattern. And I think that those are those unconscious things that we get caught up into the way we think, the way we believe, the way we act, what we're drawn to, what we accept. And sometimes it's really good to analyze that. And it's funny that you bring up a song um, because I'm just thinking about sometimes how songs fit our mood or, or like reinforce if we want to be mad. Like I'll listen to good Nine Inch Nails song if I feel like being mad about it, like, you know, whatever. Or if I want to like have a good cry, I'll listen to Sarah McLaughlin and he'll be like, oh, Sarah, you know, whatever. But sometimes we, we reinforce those things and we look for that when and sometimes we need that. But it is good to look at do some of our unconscious beliefs serve us and around the idea of feeling overwhelmed, scared, sad, dealing with uncertainty. Sometimes what happens when we get in our unconscious belief patterns and then in their unconscious action patterns, we start to believe things like, you know, what can I do anyway? It's also mm-hmm. overwhelming. And then we start to feel like, well, then I'm just going to disengage because it doesn't matter anyway. And then that gets reinforced by like, see, more bad stuff happens and I don't have any saying it. So I'm just going to let it go. Like it reinforces that kind of those kind of thoughts and those behaviors get reinforced if we don't stop and really there's a, there's a great quote that says, if you make the unconscious conscious, or sorry, it's until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And that's a Carl Jung quote. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And I love yeah. thinking about that because sometimes we do feel very fatalistic. Like it's all written and there's nothing I can do. It's so overwhelming. Or, or we can't see past the moment of our circumstance. We can't see past the pain, the suffering, the disappointment, the lack of understanding, the meanness, whatever it is. Sometimes in those moments, we can't see past to what could be. And and getting stuck in those moments is really where a lot of us 
could use could use the time to stop and be like, all right, I'm in this moment. How can I engage my conscious mind to think to the next moment or past what I might normally do that keeps me in the cycle of staying stuck, disengaged, overwhelmed, unaffected, unhappy, um, or also that keeps me in the cycle of not asking for help, thinking I should go it alone, trying to keep the weight of the world on my shoulders, thinking I'm a superhero when I'm a human being. So that's, again, another cyclical pattern that keeps us stuck. And it's right on the edge of if you could bring your conscious mind right on the edge of opportunity, change, progress, hope. All those things that we're looking for, but I, I see a lot of people, myself included, like, oh, I'm back in my cycle. I'm back in my cycle. I had the opportunity. It's like a rotary. It's like the rotary that you can't get off. Yeah. And sometimes you're looking for that exit and you miss it, right? That's, a, that's a kind of a good way to think about it. And it's a human response. But what we're talking about is how do we build that consciousness that when we get to the point of the off-ramp, we can take it. Oh, my God. You just brought up something. I want to get to this real quick because I want to really bring out the relationship between hope and fear right now, because Mm -hmm. this is really an underpinning. And then you nailed it. You said it. Okay, so maybe you all are thinking, what has this got to do with hope? What has it got to do with how to overcome this? Okay, let me just be clear. Why would I listen to a song like that over and over again? There are a couple of reasons, right? But underneath it, when you look at it, it obviously is a reminder for me of a time. That song came out in 1990. And I had made a horrific mistake in my relationship, my long-term relationship. And I knew it. I knew that I was on a pathway that I didn't know how to reverse. I didn't know how to apologize. I didn't know how to bring back a 17-year relationship. Do you see? That song hit the airways. So now why am I listening to that song? Because since 1990, I have since resolved that relationship. You know, I have since come to a place of fear and downtrodden to hope and inspiration. But we get caught in the cycle of an energy. And that is fear. And that role of fear plays a part, doesn't it? What does fear, how does, what, what role does fear play? Because I love what you said. We have to be awakened and aware. We have to understand, like for me, I had to say, okay, are you going to really hit the repeat button now for five times on that song? No, I'm going to now play titanium. (laughs) (laughs) Your human response, you go back to those places, you evoke feelings. Sometimes we're not quite done processing things yet. So we go back, but sometimes it's, to me, it's amazing how broad our human experience can be that we can hold two things to be true at the same time. I had a relationship in the past. I messed it up. This was the 17-year-old version of me that, that needed this at this time. And now look, I'm looking back. Can I offer that person compassion? Can I say this is that time? And sometimes music, it's interesting that you bring it up because music can really act as a trigger to bring us back to a time and a place faster than a lot of people like to admit. And I mean, if you're listening right now, you can think about what's the song that if you hear it, you go right back. And it's our ability to kind of transcend time and space. So when you're doing that, part of you might be wanting to heal that 17-year-old girl who, who did that thing and, and was at the time. And then also the moment of action, though, it can be also like, do I need to stay in this place for a little while? Yeah. 
There's something yeah. I need to go back there for. Is there, is there, is there then a way I can give myself a boundary and how long I spend there or yeah. the purpose of it before I plan, before I move on to my next thing? Like it's not forgetting or closing up or dismissing what you learned from that moment and who you were in that moment. But I do think sometimes when we get scared or overwhelmed, it, it is, it, yeah. our mind responds in heightened ways to those things. So they're very memorable trauma, overwhelm, things that like are, are really big, our brains just respond in a heightened way. And that's a, just a human reaction. So it's normal. If you go back through your life, sometimes people pick life events. And if you say, tell me your life timeline or your life story, people will pick the biggest, most serious, you know, because, <laughs> and they forget the little twists and turns right. in the road, but you pick the biggest. Sometimes I'll say too, even if it's about a relatively easy thing, like tell me about it. A great memory in your life that doesn't have to do with graduating, getting married, buying a house or having a baby, because those are like the, the big things people go to. And then they'll stop and be like, oh, another event. You know, there's a bazillion yeah, I, th this is an indicator that I need to schedule a session with you. <laughs> this is an indicator. But you see what you just pointed to. Let's talk about this, because this is really how we resolve big issues. This is what you do so well simultaneously, what did you say? We could have multiple things going on. So here's what you nailed. Simultaneously to that, I was in my first, I think my first three months of sobriety, you see. So had I not been in that cycle, I would have not even understood the value of a painful song like that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and so on July 29th, I celebrated 32 years. And so, so you see what you're, what you're really talking about is maybe I wasn't attached so much to that outcome. Maybe I was attached for the tears of gratitude that I had for being that awake and aware. Because if you're that awake and aware, Aren't you now able to tap into the energy of hope, the energy of a future, the energy of not to be fear ridden and limited? Yes. Because isn't hope, doesn't hope enable us to have unwavering faith? Hello, that's my word, right? Yeah, well, that's preach, Dr. Pat, preach. I gotta. Yeah, but and also congratulations on being able not only to say I have 32 years of sobriety, but say I'm willing to talk about that as something that oh, yeah. could turn people off, could let people judge you, could have a whole host of stories around that. But, th but that's interesting because that's something we want to talk about with like what diminishes hope is the idea of like, I can't share who I am because I'll be judged. Um, uh, you're going to cancel me out. You're going to cancel me out. I don't share the same values as you or beliefs or I've done something wrong and then I'm not worthy. So sometimes that plays into it. So you being able, and now look at, that's not a big deal for you to say, I'm 32 years sober. Right. I did a lot of other things when I was not, I'm not proud of that, but look at me now. Like for some people even saying I'm an alcoholic is, is huge, right? They're, they're, they're still just thinking I might be, <laughs> I might want to talk to someone about it or that my life isn't going the way I want to because alcohol is a problem. Like some people are at different places on the journey. And so you are at a point where you can take for granted and say, yep, I'm 32 years sober, but that didn't happen overnight. 
it wasn't like one day you were drunk and an alcoholic and the next day you're like, I'm getting sober. Like it probably was a journey on the roundabout of experiences and things that were happening. And then there must have been a turning point. And again, sometimes turning points are big and flashy and they're like, this is the moment where it changed. (laughs) But I think that for a lot of people, it's those quiet moments. It's those reflective moments. It's the, it's a point where your conscious mind says, I'm going to do something different. And it doesn't always start with a bang. Sometimes it starts with a tiny, small decision, right? There's something I'm going to do that I can sustain. That's going to take me in another direction, but we tend not to focus on that. We focus on the loudest, busiest, most controversial thing. And we don't, we don't take it down to the complexity of our experience. And I'll even say this just to, I guess, juxtapose this. Sometimes when I talk to you about love, you know, we talk about the manifestation of love and how it shows up. Very rarely does someone on there, like, let's say you're getting married and you say on this day, this is the day I'm declaring my love and I'm getting married to you, like in this ceremony. But a lot of times we get married in our hearts way before the ceremony where our love comes up and like, what day did you know you love somebody? A friend or a lover, right? Or a partner. What day did it happen? And in what way? It probably wasn't like, hey, Dr. Pat. I loved you today. Today was the day I figured out like sometimes they're like oh, the feeling evolved over time and then it's, it's happened, but it's the small, quiet moments that happen in our hearts and our minds where then big decisions play out. And so sometimes when we're dealing with our problems and our issues or the, the feelings of overwhelm that a lot of us have that keep us from moving on, we're looking for that thing that will say, this will change my life. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change it in a big way. And we don't, I don't hear another narrative out there that says, what if we did the smallest thing towards making a conscious decision around an action or a belief or thought that you have that might just change the trajectory the tiniest bit and something that you could sustain in a way that felt authentic for you. And then you build on that for the massive change. I think we do it kind of the reverse. You're going to make a massive change then we give up and it's too much and we're overwhelmed. And so that kind of just wanted to bring that up as it's the tinier personal internal decisions that we make rather than the loud, bold, public things that I think truly make a difference for us. Yeah. And let's talk about this because we are living in a time of uncertainty. And um, I had to make a, may I talk about this to you? I had to make a conscious decision, uh, not only about talking about addiction and recovery, but doing shows with other people. Ellen Stewart and I do a complete show. Susan Denae does a show on it. I have a network that openly invites people to come on and talk about addiction, alcoholism, drug use. I, I mean, We're going to have a channel. Now, I will tell you this. I follow the Marty Man version of recovery as opposed to being silent about it. See, I don't think the founders of of any of the 12-step programs ever meant or ever knew we would be in the digital age. The problem that people are having now stemming from fear and uncertainty, you nailed it. And, Mm -hmm. and, And what is the outcome? You and I did previous shows on this. We comfort ourselves. And it's not just alcohol and drugs. It's food. It's whatever you gambling. Holy moly. Right. I mean, I passed a casino the other day going to play in the tournament and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're standing room only in the parking lot. Right. Right. Well, I'm not saying these things are bad. No, but you're speaking to the idea of numbing ourselves. That's what I'm talking about. 
what do we do when we're facing fear, overwhelmed, or inability to act? Like or we feel hopeless, Carrie. I yeah. mean, why would we do? Why would we do this? We, in your words, we've lost hope, and we don't know how to get it back. And that's why I think what you do is so brilliant, because what you talked about just before two seconds ago is understanding the dynamic root cause nature of something. That's why I said to you, I think I have to have a session with you because I don't even know if I could answer those questions. But isn't this part of the topic for today? Yes. And with the harnessing, the power of hope is, is, is so important because when we lose it, and I often think losing hope is an interesting thing because I feel like you can't, as a human being, it's like the pilot light. We it's it's it might be small, but it's my, like and we light it and we keep it going and we make sure because it, it runs the systems of our of our humanness. Right. The pilot light keeps the house going and the pilot light of our soul is human is, is our is our hope. Right. And in, in ourselves and humanity and other people. And so they do. And I always think like maybe you can't see that hope is there, but it's still the ember. It's still there and the protecting it, enriching it. What happens when we when we feel hopeless helpless, overwhelmed, uncertain. That idea of numbing is such a human response. How can I not deal with this? <laughs> it is too much for me. So I'm going to numb myself with anything. And you could mm -hmm. literally pick anything. And people like to say, you know, social media. And you can say, yeah, look at people, though, who like shop all the time. Or look at people who gamble or eat or drink or whatever. Anything to excess. Things that could be comforting or fun or joyful then then become and i even think honestly we numb ourselves with work people who work all the time is a socially acceptable way of numbing ourselves and again connected with our worthiness well at least i'm busy and working all the time i'm needed and necessary and important we're looking for ways to feel something and we numb ourselves out because i don't what i'd like to say is in between the feeling of like losing hope and overwhelm is so much complexity <laughs> And we're not really taught to play the long game of like, I need time to figure this out. I need time to unravel this. I might need support to get from point A to point B. Also, I'm worth it. Again, the worthiness. And then how can hope help for the journey? Because yeah. when you have hope, you can wake up a little differently to face your day than when you don't. I love it. Listen, first of all, I'm excited about the newly revived hope you're creating and have created in your life. You're like my poster child. You have absolutely, Linda and I just talked about you the other day, and I might be able to share that with you in a minute. But you are the person now that has stepped out and said, I am really here to help people full time now. I am out in the world now. I'm coming out. I'm speaking out. I really feel my calling again. This is, I, I've heard you do this. You, you talked about it and then you did it. But this is part of what you do. I want to take a minute. You help people with everything we're talking about today and everything we've ever talked about. But most importantly, I want folks to know how they can connect with you and get a hold of you. What is the best way for people to really see all of the things you are now stepping back out into the world doing again, but also the work that you do that you can help them? 
Yes, I love, thank you for that setup. So really what I, I'm a therapist by training. And a few years ago, I was sitting in my office and I'm like, there's so many things around psychology that could be helpful that people, I, I could reach so many more people than if I waited them to, for them to come in my office. Could I come out? So I talk about what I do is taking psychology off the couch and bringing it to the people. And the idea too of psychology has to be for something that's wrong with you, or it has to be mysterious, or there has to be a lot of clinical words involved in a diagnosis. I want to take that out too, because I think applied psychology can help us in all sorts of ways. So the idea of everything that I do, no matter if it's talk about emotional intelligence or customer service or authentic leadership, it's about how we use our minds in conscious ways to connect with people, solve problems, feel better, you be more effective, connect in, in ways that are meaningful and important. And that I truly believe that all of us are meant to do some really important work. Yep. And we can't do the work if we're shackled by fear, overwhelm, imposter syndrome, guilt, the past. And I feel like it just makes us small. So the whole idea of get big is how can we bust through those things to show up because the world needs what you have to offer. It's desperate for it. So everything that I do, training, consulting, coaching, my show, anything like that is around the, the basic idea of like, the, like how can we show up and use psychology to make our lives better? I love this. We're going to take a short break because here's what we're going to do when we come back. Are you ready for this, everybody? I'm going to give you another piece to the sobriety story, and it's not going to be what you think, but it has to do with what Carrie's getting ready to talk about. Passive hope and active hope. Do you know there, Do you know those are like a thing? Do you know those are a thing? What gets in the way of hope? What is a hope buster? You know, like a crust buster, like crust busting. What is a hope buster? There are those. And is it possible for you to be able to figure it out yourself? Now, I will tell you this. That wasn't my case. But why did I stay with this idea to clean up my life? Why did I do that? And why was it more than just that? I was changing a legacy. A mom that was an alcoholic and a drug addict when she had me, committed suicide when I was six, buried all my sisters, including my birth sister, my stepmom, what was it that was up in my face? What was it? And what did I have to ask of my first month in the walls, <laughs> in the chairs of Alcoholics Anonymous? What did I have to say to my male sponsor? And what did he do for me to keep me in the game? It's all about hope. Wait till you hear what he did. Amazing man. Wait till you hear what Carrie is going to tell us about this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Not just talk. Conversation for profound self-awareness. Stick with us. Your best life awaits on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I got to tell you, if you have not met Carrie, Carrie Knudsen, if you have not connected with her, 
you got to call her. You got to email her because this is not just a conversation. This is passion, purpose, and action. If you go back and you listen to some of the shows we've already done, honestly, I am hoping that she sits down with me and we take these past shows and we write a book for her and we get her a book agent because this is somebody that doesn't just talk about it. Liz, give out your website again, because this is how people can get a hold of you, right? I want to make sure they know how to reach you. Yeah, totally. It's Knutson Speaks. And everything I do is under Knutson Speaks. And that's K-N-U-T-S-O-N Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S, sorry, S-P-E-A-K-S.com. Knutson Speaks social media, my uh, website. That's how you can find me and connect with me for anything. And also, I like just to mention that all my stuff isn't like out of the box. Everything I do is customized. I like to work with people in different ways, teams, groups, individuals, keynotes, breakout sessions, like any kind of things. Like I love to really customize the work I do to the need that people have and the outcome that they want. Yeah. And you walk the talk. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the short answer to the story. I was very fortunate and, and I don't want to go into the whole backstory because the reason I got a male sponsor is because I had shaved my head. Sinead O'Connor mm. had a hoodie on, was directed to go to a room. I went to the wrong room. I went to the men's meeting, had a hoodie on, didn't understand it was a men's meeting. And as I was walking out the door with my hoodie, no makeup, because I had just been uh, physically abused from a relationship I was in. So I was black and blue. And, you know, people say, really, you, Pat? Yeah, me. But here's the deal. The guy grabbed three of us walking out. We all sat in the back, myself and two other guys. And he said, you, you and you, I'm your sponsor. Big, hairy guy. Now, I was so scared. I pretended to be a, a man, a man boy, because I look like a man boy for weeks, thinking he didn't know, right? Because you're not supposed to have men. But here's the thing. He knew I wasn't going to buy into it. He knew it. And what he did is he gave me something called the ninth step promises. Now, here's what I want to say to all of you, whether you're in the rooms of AA or not. He gave them to me and he said, you need to memorize these. And I looked at him and I said, seriously, how about the other two guys? Here we were. It was me, my Muslim buddy, and my Jewish guy buddy. All of us working with this guy. We went on field trips. But the the promises are this. I'm going to just read you two of them. There are 12. This changed my life. This kept me coming. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor shut the door on it. We'll comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose self-interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work them. These are what saved my life. And if you can't tell me that these aren't about hope, I don't know what it is, Carrie. Oh my gosh. So powerful. So powerful. Where can people find those? Just like, just Google the uh, AA promises, nine step promises. Okay. Cause what you're speaking to there, like 
It's very emotional. It's emotional. It's powerful. And but the the thing that I'm tying into with that is the idea of hope because you you have a chance. You can be forgiven. You can move past. Because I think the idea of when we give up on ourselves and we lose hope, the message of like, don't lose hope. You're redeemable. There's something in you. Life's worth living. There's you're possible. And life's not worth just living because life of life. You need to be a part of it. You're needed, you're important, you're necessary, your contributions count, you're not worthless. And again, that worthiness piece of like, am I worth getting better? Am I worth trying? Am I worth? Also, I think it brings up a good point too. Like so many people come from really hard situations. And again, you just rattled that off of like, well, this is all the bad things that happened. That's like how we do that is our story, but you lived your story. You lived it. So now with time and distance, it's easy to say, well, my mom was an addict, died at six, like you, you tell it like a story. But if you go back in time, the person who lived that story, it was a longer amount of time. It took a lot to handle it. And no wonder you kind of ended up where you did, given the circumstances. So when you think about your roundabout and the things that caused you to stay on there. And you're saying the moment wasn't with a loud bang. It was maybe that quiet moment. The guy said, here, read this, <laughs> listen to this. And maybe it even if you go back, it was you deciding to show up. Maybe even before that, it was deciding to, yeah. to, to sit there and pretend to be a guy and just sit in the room. Maybe for that, it was just wandering to get close to an AA meeting, no matter what door you open. Maybe before that, it was something inside you that said, you're worth it. Don't give up. Right. It's the quiet voice. It's the it's, it's like a whisper. Thank you. It's like a nudge. It's something that isn't it, it, you that hard you can't even articulate. It's sometimes it's that feeling of like you are worth it. Keep your hope. Let's find a way to light that up again. Let's get in a place where we can get supported. Mm. But it's again, it's so small, kind of what we think of insignificant moments that are momentous because they were the point of shift, a small shift where you said to yourself, not necessarily somebody else, like you said to yourself, I am worth it. I'm going to figure something else out. It might be messy. It might not look good. I might have a lot of judgment that comes with it, but there's something in you, Dr. Pat, in that moment that got yourself there. And then something in you that kept yourself there and something in you that allowed you to listen and learn and grow. And now you tell it like, this happened, this happened, this happened. But if I go back to the Dr. Pat of the moment, (laughs) This would be a very different story. Look, that's why I love talking about this, because, Carrie, I want to really talk about this idea of putting hope in action, too. And I want you to address this, really. The reason you and I are here is because once I learned that, when I dialed that wrong phone number in 2003 and I didn't hang up and within 10 minutes, I had bought something like a $12,000 package for an Internet only show and I didn't blink. You see, because there was some part of me that had that that beautiful hope for a future that I could have that was so different than what everybody else thought I could have. Because the bottom line is, I should have been a high paid consultant in 2003, but I couldn't. So this is what I'm trying to say. We will get opportunities. And I would like you to address this because it does have to do with the passive and, and active hope. Every one of us every day gets an opportunity to bask in the fulfillment of hope. Mm -hmm. What does it take? How can we talk to folks today 
just so they might get even a glimmer, even a few seconds of it, right? Because it is contagious. Can you can you talk to that, yeah. please? So the difference between active and passive hope is something we need to talk about. And I want to make sure I get the author's name right of the book. I read the most wonderful book on this, uh, Active Hope by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone. Yeah. It, it was written like 12 years ago. It's been yeah. great again. My wonderful friend Elaine Grant turned me on to it. Um, as well as the work of, I want to mention a few other people who are doing good work on this, um, Krista Tippett, who runs a podcast on being, and then Victor Frankel, who is, Man's Search for Meaning is like the best book ever, who is a Holocaust survivor who wrote a, a book essentially on hope and how we keep it alive. So all of these things play into it. But what I want to talk about now, the idea of active hope versus passive, which 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 is what the book talks about, and I want to kind of extend it, is a lot of us are living in this passive hope. I hope things change. I hope someone else does it. I hope somebody else fixes it. And then if we're not certain that that hope will happen, we're kind of like, ah, but it probably won't. Um, and also we take ourselves out of the equation because someone else should do something to, to give us hope. <laughs> and I often think it's like waiting for someone to be like, have hope because here's the plan and it's going to work. And they're like, great, now I'll have hope. Now I'll buy into it. But in life... <laughs> We, it's the hope is that we like have to keep it for something that is uncertain that may or may not work out the way we think it will and something that we don't necessarily have control over. So we kind of, when we're passive, we're like, oh, if it works out and if you make the plan and if you tell me it's all going to be good, then I can have hope. But if we ask ourselves to internalize it, active hope says, I have the power to do something. Even and especially, I would add, if it's small, <laughs> because, again, we're trying to do these big, grand things. And then when we fail, we're like, see, but we don't rely on the fact that, like, what gives me hope? What actions can I take towards building and, and harnessing the power of that, protecting it? What efficacy do I have in my life? And that's where I think where the table needs to get turned from passive to active. And I like the idea of hope. Um, Krista Tippett said she's, she, she wrote an article that said hope is a muscle, like flexing the muscle of hope. And again, I have to thank my friend Elaine Grant, who was like, hey, because I, I, I called her, I'm like, I'm thinking about hope. I'm thinking about uh, how we can harness it. And she's a great person. We always riff off each other. And she's like, what about this? Do you know about this? So all of these resources are thanks to me. It's funny because I was talk, thinking about this in my mind. And when I finally shared it with a good friend, she could reflect it back to me. And then I could get more articulate about what I wanted to say. And then I looked at all these resources about people doing the work. And now I'm trying to put it together in a meaningful way, which is essentially what I do with everything, right? <laughs> put it together in a meaningful way. But the the, the idea of active hope says, can you cultivate, enrich, and focus on things that give you hope in a way that is more realistic rather than pie in the sky and is also more personal than maybe what should give you hope than what does give you hope? And so I want to talk about like action and hope and taking action because what I think happens and studies have shown this idea of like taking action helps us feel like we're effective we have efficacy we can do something and so a lot of times when we, we get hopeless we we get numbed we take we don't take action we we just like kind of wait so the opposite of that is how can i take action to help me build hope and i just want to give like a quick example of something we're all experiencing right now but you know the satellite that just went out in space is james 
I got to think of the name of the satellite. Hold on. I got it. I wrote it down. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm doing it right. Okay. The James Webb Space Telescope. So this is like a global thing that's right. happening, right? We're seeing pictures of, from space that are like, is this a real picture? Like all these images that are coming down from the satellites are incredible. And I don't care if you think space is cool or not. I, I would double dog dare you to not be in awe of these images. And so this telescope is sending back these images. And what I feel like it's doing, the people that worked on that, when they started it, I'm sure hope be like it had to start as a whisper. Someone saying, you know what? I think we could build a telescope that we could launch really far into the universe that could send back high resolution pictures. And then I'm sure the people are like, that can never happen. And what do you think that will cost too much? And who do you think you are? Do you even have the right degree for that? How do you get the funding? And then you kill it. <laughs> you kill the dream before the little flicker of hope, right? And so I, I'm wowed by the people that stayed in the room to be like, yes, we can. And we're going to try. And you know what everyone's experiencing now is the result of amazing effort, yes. trial and error, lots of time things that weren't pretty times when it wasn't going to work and nobody wants to say that they all want to look at the result and that's what we get trapped in like was it the result good yay i'm for it but no one wants to be in the work of the messy long nights not pretty failing but what kept that team going to make that telescope yeah. work was hope and now what it's doing in my mind when it's out there in the world in the universe not in the world, in the universe, sending back pictures of our universe. It's giving me hope of like what, how, how big the universe is, my place in it, what's possible, how amazing science is. Like I'm getting residual hope <laughs> from that activity. Exactly. But I want to go back to the people in the room. Again, the James Webb Space Telescope, those people had to start with a small flicker of hope. And now it's burning like this bright star. But that's just one example I want to give. That's on a global level of those people taking action. And then on a personal level, I want to give a little example. of. So for me, a, f a few months ago, one of my daughters was in an elementary school. She was in fourth grade. And I got an email from a teacher. It was a group email saying, hey, we're wondering if some parents... Could, could every parent just donate one book around that we're trying to get a class set? Um, if you could help, that'd be great. And something in me was so mad when I read that. I'm like, here's a teacher having to ask parents to buy class sets of books so she can have a book group. And I was like, no, that is not right. And this wasn't even no. my, 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 my child was not in this teacher's class, but I'm like, teachers should not have to do this. That is not right. She shouldn't have to wait one more second for a complete set. They should be new and beautiful. And every kid in that school should be able to read whatever book they want. I got all fired up. And it was funny because at the same day, I was feeling so hopeless about the state of the world, what everything is happening, especially my husband's a teacher. I worked in the school as a school counselor. My kids, was, I was just feeling like the way the public was treating teachers. I was, I had a whole bunch of feelings that day. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I have feelings with you just mentioning it. Yes. I could see why that would be what? Yes. What do, well, right? If we care about kids, we have to care about teachers. We do. We have to support them, nurture them, give them the freedom and autonomy to do their job and teach. That's I often like to saying, just because you cashed a check at a bank doesn't mean you can run a bank. Just because you sat in a classroom <laughs> doesn't mean you know anything about teaching. So that's my, that's, that got me riled up. So I got this email and I'm like, 
No, we're not getting one book at a time. We're getting all the books and we're getting them next week. And I literally sent, I'm like, I'm starting a fundraising campaign. I want this. I called a bookstore, a local bookstore. I'm like, here's all the books we need. How much is it going to cost? And they're like, here. And I'm putting them on order because I'm getting them. And then I said, hey, parents, we need, and the crazy thing, we needed like $600 to make it happen. And the grand scheme of things is $600 that much money for a school? No. So I was like, I need $600 as soon as possible. And I need you to be part of this. And I said, and whatever we get at the end, I'm giving the rest. I'm going to get out of my savings and do it. Do you want to be part of something? In two days, I had over the amount I needed. I had the books there the next week. I, the, I, and I, the funny thing is, I just didn't, I dropped them off at the school, but the teacher was teaching. So I never even saw that teacher. But when I walked, delivered those books and walked out of that school, I'm like, something is right in the world today. And I had something to do with it. And yeah. it didn't fix everything that's wrong with education, how we treat our teachers. But it was something that was right. And that little spark of hope kept me going to then have energy to take action on other things. But I did it from inside. It's active hope that we, we light that up from inside. Then we sustain it, harness it and use it to take action that moves us forward. Yeah. And the antithesis would have been you just complaining. Yes. Right. Because you see that the universe is so smart, like smarter than a third grader. Well, actually, third graders are pretty smart now, but yeah. so smart to know that somebody like you would get that email and care. Yes. Well, that's but it was your thing. hopeful energy that yes. made it happen. Well, the beautiful thing is the teacher sent me an email back. She goes, I don't even know you. And here you've done this thing for me. And it restores my hope in humanity. It allows me to teach these groups that I'm really motivated to teach on these books that I think will be great for kids. So that little action created another action. And it's not that we knew each other, that we liked each other, that we were friends even. It's like something had to happen and I was going to do something about it. And it, in the grand scheme of things, if you want to judge me, well, that's like a pebble and, you know, we need a boulder. But the pebble counted because you know what? It does pebble makes a ripple. The pebble counts. The it pebble does. counts. And we have to keep that in mind as we're going through our lives. The pebble counts just as much, if not more than the boulder, because it's those small things that we do with great love that can have great meaning and impact. And it also fuels the fire of our hope. And that's what we need to be able to continue to live in this world and take meaningful action. It starts here. And that's the kind of thing that builds that up, keeps the pilot on, keeps it stoked, whatever kind of analogy you want to use. Yeah. I, you know, thank you for sharing that story because see, sometimes we think that not only are we hopeless, we're helpless. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I there is a distinction I want to say to everybody, and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to really dig deeper into it. And, you know, maybe Carrie will do a different show about it, but, you know, there are both that operate. And, you know, what we're, the reason we're talking to you all about it today is because we know, we know kind of now, we don't know exactly what you've been through, but we know about it because we've been through it. You know, we've been through our own businesses during COVID, uh, myself and network. Um, we hope is what drove me to make sure we got the funding that could have been available to us through COVID, you know, but it doesn't mean we don't feel things, right? So mm -hmm. I just want to be clear. You can be angry about something. You can still be fired up about something. You could still feel sad about some things, but there's a difference between being, you know, feeling sadness and becoming sadness. 
Mm. Right. And today what you've brought to the surface, though, for all of us are, man, great examples. But more than that, this is what we need now. And Carrie, I want to just ask you a couple of things. Please let folks know again how they can find out more about you. And I would love to know, as we bring this full circle, what do you want to leave people with? What do we want the takeaway? So again, please give out your website and how people can contact you. Yes. So you can find me at KnutsonSpeaks.com, K-N-U-T-S-O-N. S-P-E-A-K-S, KnutsonSpeaks.com. And I'm on social media under Knutson Speaks too. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook. And what I would like to leave you with, and I'm going to use my notes for this because I got, I've got two quotes Please. that I can share that I think are really important. And one is this idea of, there's a Helen Keller quote, which just speaks to this beautifully. And this is what she says. I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And I will not refuse to do something I can do. And that is the power of the person and the moment and the belief all wrapped up into this quote, because I love it. I can't do everything, but I will not refuse to do something that I can do. And I can do. If you have that hope, then there's still belief that you can do that. And the idea to me, the world is so complex. Don't reduce it to a soundbite. Don't reduce it to a Republican, Democrat, pro or con or whatever. Like, we have to be more willing of ourselves to engage in the complexity of ourselves and our experiences and other, and other people in order to have hope. Because again, that whole idea of shutting down, cancel concert, it's too much. It's not happening fast enough. Can we broaden our, our kind of perspective on what it's going to take to keep hope alive and have hope? And, and a lot of times too, when we know our why in the world and what we're about, and we have some belief in our worthiness, it's easier to have hope despite all the circumstances. So I do think coming from a place of I'm worthy, my contributions are worthy. I have something to give, even if I've been told otherwise, maybe by society, by my family, by whoever I have, I'm got something going on here. I'm worthy. And I can have hope that I can do that. And the last quote I just want to share related to that is beautiful quote by Viktor Frankl. Those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. Those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. What's your why? Connect it with your hope. Talk about it. Think about it. Make tiny changes and find. Don't give it up because that's that's yeah. to me the the when we lose our humanity. Don't give it up. Find a way to keep it strong, protect it, and then harness it to do the things you were meant to do in this world. That's what I want to say. And for those of you that don't know who Viktor Frankl is, please go ahead and look at Viktor Frankl. Um, you can Google him, you can understand his story, and you can understand exactly the way I reference Carrie today on the show. This is a man that took his life, regardless of the circumstance, never gave up, walked the talk, lived through hope, and created a story and a legacy that rocked the world in terms of what we can do with belief, hope, faith, and mind. Carrie, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Dr. Pat. That was a beautiful wrap up, a beautiful way to talk about Viktor Frankl. And I do hope everyone looks him up. And I do hope that you take some things from today's show that will resonate personally with you so that you can take them out into this uncertain world and make those changes that need to be made and, and continue to keep your humanness about you. Don't give up.
Yeah. As we'd like to say, hope rocks. Thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Carrie. You have been listening to Get Big Out Loud Radio, where we explore the complex, funny, and beautiful ride of life with me, Carrie Knutson, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will help you to know which thoughts are keeping you small in order for you to get big. Get big and live your life out loud. For more information, visit KnutsonSpeaks.com.